Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. It's, it's a new year, new me. Right? That has become sort of the, the cliche of our time. That it's the beginning of the year and, and everything's gonna be new. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop all of those things that I used to do and I'm gonna start doing all the good things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put down that bad habit that I've had for so long. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing good habits. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink more water. I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm actually gonna go to the gym. I'm not just gonna pay for a gym membership. And we all sort of start making these resolutions for what we're going to do. And in many ways, the, the idea of a resolution, in many ways, is hope that is spoken out loud. Uh, whenever we, um, make a resolution, what we're saying is, I hope that my life is better, and I think it can change in this way. We're saying, I hope that things will get better this year, and I think that one of the ways that I can make things better is by doing this one thing, by drinking more water, by, by being on my phone less, or whatever the resolution that we want, because all of us have this innate sense that we want our lives to be different. And by saying I want our lives to be different, what I mean is that we want our lives to be better. After all, in so many ways, that is exactly what hope is. Hope is us saying that I believe that the future will be better than my past and my present. My future will be better than my past or present, or as that song just said, don't you cry. <laughs> We're working on it, I promise. Um, there we go. But we, we hope that our future is going to be better than our past or our present. That's what hope is. But here's the hard thing. Most of us live our lives out of the opposite of hope. We live our lives out of cynicism. Cynicism is the opposite of hope. Cynicism says things are never going to change. The way that things are right now is the way that they will always be. And, and by the way, cynicism has sort of a tone that, and by the way, those things are bad. That life is bad now and it's going to get no better. Probably even going to get worse. And for so many of us, this is how we live our lives. This, this idea of cynicism is the air that we breathe. It's all around us. It is what our culture sort of pumps into our life every day. It's what our friends at work say. It's what the people at the coffee shop are talking about. It's what, it's what our family says all the time. And it kind of takes two forms. On the one hand, we have sort of the cold cynicism. Nothing is going to be good. Nothing is going to get better. This life is going to keep going. The only way that you can cope with all of it is to just accept that things are always going to be bad. And so we sort of live our lives out of this sort of sense that, you know what? It's going to be bad. I just have to cope, pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's not going to get better. I'll just endure it. Others of us um, have a, a sort of warmer 
uh, optimistic cynicism, but it's cynicism nonetheless. Things are never going to get better, but the one thing that I can control in my life is me. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to fight. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that at least in the little bubble around me, things are at least a little bit better. And so we fight and we scrap for every ounce that we can. But cynicism at its heart always kills hope. Which is hard because the pressures of the messages around us, the pressures of social media, of digital media, of of our families and friends, the the pressures of everything else around, around us pushes us away from hope. Which is why it's so hard for us to have it. But this morning, we're starting a new study at City Church. Not just being here in the theater, not just learning about things like, hey, make sure the automatic music doesn't come on. But we're also studying a new book for us at City Church. We're going to start looking at the book of First Peter. Now, we've called this series City Saint because uh, the city of St. Petersburg is named after a city that's named after Peter. Right? We're not named after Peter himself. We're named after St. Petersburg in Russia. That city, though, is named after St. Peter. And St. Peter wrote his first letter to a group of churches that were spread out around Asia Minor, which is what, what today we would call Turkey. And these are people that have been scrapping. These are people that have been fighting. They have come to know Jesus. They are just starting their churches. They're not brand new, but they're not old mature churches either. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them. And the first thing that he does is begin to talk to them about hope. So what I want to do this morning is I want to stand up all of us together, and I'm going to read the first nine verses out of first Peter. So stand with me if you would, as we read the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. (laughs) 
far too often we give in to cynicism. We let cynicism rule the day. And when we do that, we kill the opportunity that our hearts have to have hope. We live without hope because we choose so often to be cynical. But Peter writes to these people and says, no. The message of Jesus Christ offers us not a cynical view of everything else around us. Not a jaded, disillusioned, disaffected, too cool for anything else view. Rather, a warm view. And he begins to root that warm view in the gospel. And the message that Jesus Christ has saved us when we could never do that on our own. And not only has Jesus Christ saved us, He has chosen us, He has made us whole, He is making us new. Peter sort of glosses through that just almost rapid fire as he sort of shows the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all play a role in us coming to know Jesus. He he grows through that, and then he gets to this point where he begins to sort of burst out. You see, all of the verses that I read to you this morning, after the part where he says, grace and peace to you, all of that is actually one sentence. It's as if Peter is so excited, he can't contain himself, and he just sort of runs through this like long run-on sentence that every English teacher you ever had would draw a big red circle around and say, uh-uh, and put the letters R-O next to it. That's a run-on sentence. Don't do that. But Peter composes this elegant sentence. It's, it's nearly poetic. And he says, look, what we have in Christ is not just the salvation that he's given us, but another facet is the fact that he has laid up an inheritance. Something for you to look forward to. Something that says that the future is going to be better than the past or the present. Something that gives us hope. And that this hope is found in Jesus. And so as he lays it out, he, he tells us a little something about this inheritance. He says that it's imperishable, that it can't die, it's not going away, that it's undefiled, that it's not going to be dirtied or soiled or brought down to our level. It's unfading, it is timeless, and lastly, that it is guarded by God himself. You see, we are, we are quick to, to put the things that we care about under lock and key. We want to make sure they're guarded. Some of us have big dogs in our house to ward off people. We call them guard dogs. We understand this concept of what's important to us, what is valuable to us, should be guarded. And in this case, what Peter's saying is that God has said that your salvation and your future are so important that He is going to guard them. Not assigning it to somebody else. Not going to let somebody else take care of it. No, he himself is guarding your salvation. And he is doing this because it's not based on something that you've earned. It's not based on how well you can perform the so-called Christian life. You see, our hope, our inheritance, and our salvation are all gifts that are given to us by God. They have their origin in Him. He is the one who is at work. So our hope is not based on how well we wake up this morning, how well we wake up this year and say, I'm going to be more hopeful this year. 
and tie our shoes tighter or put a little dot on our watch or change our phone splash screen or whatever sort of we do to say, I'm going to do this thing that's going to remind me to be more hopeful. No, that's not where your hope comes from. Your hope comes from the fact that Jesus Christ has died and rose again and has secured a different future for you. That you need him to have this. Now that's a little bit hard for us because we like to earn what we have. We like to, when, it, when it's mid-February and everybody else has faded out of the gym, we like to look around and go, eh, we're all those New Year's people now. Right when, it, when it's mid-February and we've still got that bottle on our desk and we're drinking all eight glasses of water that the doctors all tell us that apparently we need, right? We're, you know what? I, I'm drinking less iced coffee now and more of that water. And nobody, no, no, no one else in here is doing their New Year's resolution. Look at me, right? I'm the, resu- I'm the resolute one. No, God says our hope is not based on how well we strive for it, but rather what God has already done on our behalf. Which is actually hard for us to accept. That sounds great. It sounds great that God has already done it for you, but that requires us to admit that we can't do it on our own. You see, most of us live our lives like toddlers, like, like three-year-olds, like three-nagers, who constantly tell you when you try to help them with anything, what do they tell you? I, I, I can do it. I can do it. No, but the, it's, like, it's like in the top cabinet. Like, I can barely reach that, okay? How can you do it? No, no, I can do it. And most of us stand before God, and God says, I will give you this free gift. That is, that is hope, that is salvation, that is your life that's going to be different. And we want to say to God, no, no, no. I can do it. No, but it's, it's on the top shelf. There's no way you could reach that. No, no. I'm going to climb up the rest of the pantry. I can do it. And oftentimes our, our lives are just about as disastrous as the lives of our toddlers. It requires that we need to admit that we are wrong. But cynicism says, I don't have any needs. Cynicism, which kills hope, says I've been burned before and I don't need anyone. I'm going to do it all on my own. You see, one of the reasons why cynicism is the opposite of hope is because it is hope that has been charred over. But it's not true hope that's been charred over. It's misplaced hope. Think about it. We become cynical because we put our hope in this new job. I'm going to get this new job. I'm going to move to this new city and everything's going to be better. And then it's not. And then what happens? We get more jaded. We become more cynical. You know what? If I just had this relationship that I really want, then then everything, this year is going to be the year that I finally get this relationship that I've always wanted. And then we don't get it, and what happens? We become jaded. Our hope gets charred over because it's misplaced. 
The same thing happens when we want so badly for our children to love us the way that we want to be loved. When we want our money to buy us the happiness that we think it can buy us. You can put, you, you can, you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that you put your hope in that, that, that if this was just different, everything would be okay. And we begin to hope that that fix is going to change us and it never does. And so our hearts get charred over. And we give in to cynicism. But Jesus says through Peter, no, no, hope is available to you. Not based on what you've done, not based on how well you could earn it, but because of what Jesus has done. And he says, not only that, but you're going to need that hope because if you're a Christian, if you are truly trying to live out what it means to be a Christian, It is not going to be easy. He says that it's going to be like a fiery trial, that we are going to experience trials. In fact, Paul says that that anyone who desires to live a godly life will face persecution and trials. You see, most of us can sort of see this working out in our lives. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about the fact that if you become a Christian some bad things are going to happen to you. You see, we like to trivialize this. Think about it. We, we get a flat tire and we go, oh, I, I'm being persecuted, right? We, we get a, we, no, no, here's a better one, right? We get a parking ticket for being out slightly too long in St. Pete's two-hour parking, right? And sorry, I, I sometimes forget with this analogy that we have um, a parking attendant here. Um, but but St. Pete is, is very uh, good about being uh, quick, to to make sure that their parking spaces are available to all of the citizens who need them, right? But we think we think that somehow this is us going through trials. No. The parking the parking attendants don't know if you're a Christian or not a Christian. The parking attendants don't know the, the your tire doesn't go flat because you're a Christian. Your tire goes flat because you hit a nail. Sometimes we like to trivialize Something like this. And say that our trials are these little things that are going on in our life. And, and when we do that, what we accidentally do is trivialize things like, like what's going on in China. With our sister church, Early Rain. Where they're being arrested. J- just two weeks ago, one of the elders' wives checked into the hospital to have their child. And, and at the door, the cops were there waiting for the husband to take him away. That's, that's the sort of trial that's, that he's talking about. Not, you got a headache last Wednesday. Not, somebody was mean to you this one time because actually you were kind of a jerk in traffic too. Right? That's not what he, he's talking about actual hard stuff that goes on because we believe in Jesus. Now most of us don't experience stuff like that because honestly for most of us our Christianity doesn't make that much difference in our lives. Just being honest. Most of us don't experience the kind of trials that Peter's talking about because for most of us, our Christianity does not make that much of a difference. We look, feel, act, spend our money, and build our relationships just like everybody else around us. You see, we are quick trivialize this so we can relate to it. But in reality, it's something deeper. You see, if Jesus gives us this beautiful salvation, 
If God the Father is guarding our future himself, what the passage also says is that the Holy Spirit is going to be making us new. And when we begin to see that happen in our lives, it changes the way that we engage with every person and everything around us. It changes the way that we go to work. Because all of a sudden, if I have to do something sketchy to make that sale, maybe I'm not going to do it. If I have to, to, to violate my ethics in order to improve, am I going to do it? It, it changes the way that our money works. It changes the way that we relate to our spouses. God is making us new. He is changing us more and more into a people of hope, into a people who are willing to stand up against cynicism and say, no, no, actually, the future can be better. Actually, things will not always stay the same. Not because of what I can do, but because of what Jesus has already done in the cross and with the resurrection. And as we begin to work this out in our lives, not only will we be able to endure the actual trials that come to our life when we actually fight for hope in the world around us, in our relationships, and in our vocations, but it also leads us to joy. As we grow through practicing hope, through suffering, our joy begins to grow and become more beautiful. Our faith increases so that even though we can't see Jesus, we love him. Even though we can't see Jesus, we believe in him. And we begin to to follow more and more and more in line with him. Now the hard part is, as we mentioned before, that this beautiful picture of hope that Peter gives us is not something that we can create. It's not something that we can muster up or white-knuckle through. This is the kind of thing that only comes when Jesus gives it to us. When Jesus grants it to us by faith. It has to come from somewhere else. Which is why Peter ties all of this back into the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, after he dies for our sins, after he takes the punishment for the ways that we have lived in strong cynicism, after that, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason that Jesus rose from the dead is because the new world began on that Sunday morning. The new world began, guaranteed, that Sunday morning. And so what you and I do is we look back at the resurrection of Jesus and say, that is the guarantee of my hope. That is the written promise note of the resurrection for me and for others. This is where hope begins. And so our, our call as a Christian is to live into this hope that Jesus has already given us. You know, it's interesting, the, the NFL football season is, is winding down, and it's almost draft season. And there's something that happens during the, the NFL draft that I'm always so fascinated by, uh, which is uh, they, they have the draft in, in, well, actually they've been moving around. They used to do it at Radio City Music Hall, but now it's, it happens all over the country. And you have these kids who are coming out of college, some of them 19, 20, 21 years old, 
And a lot of these kids grew up poor. Maybe they grew up blue collar, maybe they grew up middle class, but, but many of these kids grew up poor and yet there they are in New York City, in downtown Chicago, and they are dressed in the finest of suits. They're wearing these custom made suits with the, the colors of their college team woven into the inside. They're wearing good looking sneakers. They are, they are dressed to the nine, probably wearing more money on their body at that point than every clothes and shoe I have in my closet. How can they do that? These kids are amateur athletes who grew up poor. Why? Because they know. They know that that night, in just a few moments, they're going to go from having nothing to being millionaires. And so what do they do? They begin to live like it. They begin to live into their identity as a star football player because they know what is going to happen in a few minutes at the draft. It changes their lives now. City Church, God is guarding a future for you that is better than the past. It's better than the present. And his call to you this morning, this new year, is to begin to live like you have been already given that future. You're a first round draft pick, City Church. You got a guaranteed contract coming. Jesus' love for you is greater, so much more than that. So let's live like the future that Jesus says is coming.